It's been a wonderful day to be in the house of the Lord. I'm glad you're here tonight. Thank you for coming back and for some of you uh, joining us this evening. You weren't able to come this morning, but we're glad to have you. My name is Al Stone. I live in St. Thomas, Ontario. I pastored the Bible Baptist Church there for 30 years. And for the last few years, I have traveled and represented our Burying Precious Seed Ministry and the Canadian Gospel Project, trying to put the Gospel of John Book of Romans, that little booklet, into every home in Canada. There are 13 million homes. We've done uh, just over 8 million uh, of those homes, and we're closing in on 9 million. We are just finishing out Ontario. We will work this Tuesday for a couple hours and finish up what we have on hand and finish off Ontario and then move to Manitoba. We'll do Manitoba and then we're going to come back and we're going to do Quebec and New Brunswick, our two bilingual provinces, and we're going to do a French-English version for them. And then we'll continue on. Saskatchewan's already been done thanks to... Bethel Baptist Church. You folks did that several years ago, paid for that, paid for the postage, and covered the entire province of Saskatchewan. So then we'll move on to Alberta and then British Columbia, and we will have finished our nation with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Somebody said, what are you going to do when you finish that? What are you going to do next? I said, I don't know. The Lord's laying some things in my heart. I've kind of got a strong uh, pulling towards Australia for some reason. But uh, I've got many down in the United States who said, you know what, we need to do this in America. Maybe we could help America reach America with the gospel. That would be awesome. Uh, so there's all kinds of things we could do. We could really start over in Canada again because it's been, uh, we started in 2004, 16 years since we started. So a lot of people would have passed away, new immigrants moving in. So I don't know. You pray that God will direct us in the right way. This has been a, a bit of an emotional day for me. I always get emotional when I come home here. Uh, for those of you that don't know, I grew up in this church. I got saved when I was seven. or I started coming when I was seven. I got saved when I was nine. Came to church here with our family. And I love this place. And many of you are our friends. Uh, some of you have been my teachers. Some of you have been fellow students. Uh, some of you have been uh, other parts of my life. And I mentioned this morning that I'd had the opportunity to have influence in some people's lives. And I kidded around about that. But I want to tell you that I had an opportunity today to share uh, with this lady that was here this morning who sat under Dr. Strachan. I was able to talk to her and reminisce about sitting under Dr. Strachan and his preaching and that old fiery preacher and the glasses coming off and all those things that he did. And, and uh, we reminisced about what a preacher he was. And then I was reminded today of a young couple that came to our church back in the... Uh, Late 70s, early 80s. Young couple coming out of the hippie movement of the 70s. And they lived that life and they lived it fully. And they found that there was nothing really in that hippie life. The old sex, drugs, rock and roll, there was nothing there. And they heard about Jesus. I don't know exactly how they heard, but they heard about Jesus. I think it may have been my Uncle Ray that led them to Christ. I don't know. And they started coming to church and I just fell in love with them. Great couple. And uh, they didn't have much. Had a tiny little family, two boys and a little girl. And they came to church. And I noticed that they didn't go to a lot of the activities. And I went to them and I said, why didn't you guys come on that activity? And they said, well, we just couldn't come. You know, it just, things happen. We couldn't come. And I found out that they often couldn't come because they didn't feel that they could pay for a babysitter. And they had three kids. Two rotten boys and one very sweet little girl. And uh, I'm kidding. So I offered to babysit for them too. I did a lot of babysitting around here. That's very unusual for a 12, 13-year-old boy, but I just, I just wanted to help, and that's what I could do. I couldn't do a lot of things. And so I offered to watch their kids so they could go on church activities, and I did that. And this morning, as I was standing at the door shaking hands, 
a young lady came to me and said, Pastor, do you remember me? And I looked right at her and I said, I don't, I don't remember you. I'm sorry. She said, my name's Sarah, Sarah Cullen. Mike and Brenda Cullen were my parents. And that was that couple. I'm so glad to see you today. She's sitting right up here in the front row. Quit crying. Quit crying. <laughs> and she said, you had an impact in my life. I am so glad you were here. I'm so glad your family is with you tonight. She said, Pastor, I'll be honest. I tried a few churches in town. I kind of got away from the Lord and things. And I've ended up back here. And she goes, and I'm staying here because this church is preaching the gospel. Amen. I met her daughter, Willow, tonight. Willow is nine years old. I was nine when I got saved, Willow. I don't know if you're saved or not. But if you're not, you need to get saved. And uh, Willow reminds me a lot of her mom when she was a little girl. A lot like her. And so I've been reunited with this, this dear, what was a little girl, now a grown woman. And we sat and talked about her mom and dad and talked about, you know, uh, those times as a kid and church and all those things. It's been so good to be home. And Sarah, I'm so glad I got to see you today. Thank you for sharing that with me. And uh, I've already told her to tell her mom and dad that I love them and I miss them. And I look forward to seeing them again one of these days soon. Would you take your Bible tonight and turn to 1 Samuel chapter 22. You get a little more emotional as you get older. I had some blood clots years ago. I had uh, one uh, pretty severe one, and uh, that put me out of commission for a while. I was in the hospital for six days in the intensive care with that one. And then I had another round of them. I had about 10 of them in my lungs and uh, was in the hospital again another six days. And ever since then, I've become much more emotional. I don't know what it is. I've heard that men that have heart troubles and those kind of things, they, you know, it changes a little bit. And it changed me. I'm a little more emotional, but I don't mind. I don't mind being emotional. We need some more emotion in this world. Good emotion. Not just boohooing, but some good heartfelt emotion. I want to give you this message tonight that I've entitled, Nobody's Sorry for Me. Nobody's Sorry for Me. From 1 Samuel chapter 22. Most of us don't like to be around those who whine all the time, do we? Nobody wants to be around a whiny child. I want this. I want that. I don't get my way. We don't want to be around that. Nobody likes that. I was in Walmart one time at home, and this little kid threw themselves on the ground and started to stomp their feet and hit their hands on the floor and started screaming. I walked by and I said, my dad had a cure for that. It didn't happen in our house. <laughs> it was an old-fashioned thing. We were in a store together. My dad's here. We were in a store together up in, in London, I think it was, and a, and a kid started acting up. And he went over and he said something to that kid. And he came back and I said, hey, what would you say to that kid? He goes, I told him you straighten up or I'll take you outside and beat the daylights out of you. I said, dad, you can't say that to that kid. Why not? He says, I said, you can't say that stuff anymore. <laughs> It worked 30, 40 years ago, but not so much today. <laughs> Nothing's good. Nobody likes me. My life's hard. We're doomed. Kind of reminds me of the young man that joined the monastery, wanted to become a monk. But it was a monk where you, you weren't allowed to talk. I'd never make it in there. You're not allowed to talk. They, they would allow them once a year to say two words. That was it. You could say two words. And so this young man went through the monastery. The first year goes by, and he comes in, and the head monk said, what would you like to say? And he said, hmm, bed hard. Bed hard. Chief monk said, oh, okay, that's it. You're done for the year. I'll see you next year. And so the monk went back, and year rolled around and came back, and he said, what two words would you like to say this year? And he said, food cold. Food cold. 
Another year goes by and he comes back and he says, what would you like to, what would you like to say now? And he goes, room small. Wow. Fourth year. Comes back. What two words would you like to say? And the young monk says, I quit. And the senior monk said, good, all you've done is complain since you got here. Some would call it the Eeyore syndrome. Pessimistic. Gloomy. Depressed. Self-indulgent. Oh boy, things are bad. We're not going to make it. The only thing that makes it worse is when that Eeyore has absolutely no reason to be that way. Could I tell you tonight as a Canadian, we really have no reason in this world to ever complain about anything. I've been in some countries, I've been to the Philippines, I've been to Haiti, I've been to Africa. I've, I was in a village in Africa uh, just a few years ago where the 13, 12, 13-year-old girls had to pull water out of a well that was about 75 feet deep with a five-gallon pail pulling it up by a rope. They had to do that two, three times a day. They'd pour it into large basins on other girls' heads, and they'd carry those basins on their heads to, to their little hut, their mud hut. They still live that way. No electricity, no hydro, no running water, no bathroom facilities like we've got, cooking on a fire outside, living a meager life. I come back to this country, and I see all that we have. We have so much. We have great health care system. We have wonderful education systems. We have roadways. We have parks. We have buildings and homes and cars and all those things. And yet somehow it even creeps into our lives that nobody feels sorry for me because I've got it so hard. I've got it so bad. Such is the case of the central character in our text who cries, nobody's sorry for me, but had so much. No reason at all, but yet feels this way. Would you look at 1 Samuel chapter 22 with me? We begin reading in verse 6. It says, When Saul heard that David was discovered, and the men that were with him, now Saul abode in Gibeah under the tree of Ramah, having his spear in his hand, and all his servants were standing about him. Let me just mark that's King Saul with all his servants standing around him. Verse 7, Then Saul said unto his servants that stood about him, Hear now, ye Benjamites, will the son of Jesse, that's David, give every one of you fields and vineyards and make you all captains of thousands and captains of hundreds, that all of you have conspired against me, and there is none that showeth me that my son hath made a league with the son of Jesse, and there is none of you that is sorry for me. Or showeth unto me that my son hath stirred up my servant against me to lie in wait as at this day. Then answered Doeg, the Edomite, which was set over the servants of Saul, and said, I saw the son of Jesse coming to Nob, to Ahimelech, the son of Ahitub. Not a low shower, Ahitub. And he inquired of the Lord for him, and gave him victuals, and gave him the sword of Goliath the Philistine. Then the king sent to call Elimelech, the priest, the son of Ahitub, in his father's house, and the priests that were in Nob, and they came, all of them, to the king. And Saul said, Hear now, thou son of Ahitub. And he answered, Here I am, my lord. And Saul said unto him, Why have ye conspired against me? Thou and thy son of, uh, sorry, thou and the son of Jesse, in that thou hast given him bread and a sword and hast inquired of God for him that he should rise against me to lie in wait as at this day. 
Now listen to what Ahimelech says. Then Ahimelech answered the king and said, And who is so faithful among all thy servants as David, which is the king's son-in-law, and goeth at thy bidding and is honorable in thine house? Did I then begin to inquire of God for him? Be it far from me. Let not the king impute anything unto the, unto the servant, nor to all the house of my father. For thy servant knew nothing of all this, less or more. And the king said, Thou shalt surely, what? Die. And Elimelech, thou and all thy father's house. Verse 17. And the king said unto the footmen that stood about him, Turn and slay the priests of the Lord, because their hand also is with David, and because they knew when they, he fled, and did not show it to me. But the servants of the king would not put forth their hand to fall upon the priests of the Lord. Praise the Lord for that. And the king said to Doeg, Turn thou and fall upon the priests. And Doeg, the Edomite, turned, and he fell upon the priests and slew on that day fourscore and five persons, 85 people, and did wear a linen ephod. Verse 19. And Nob, the city of the priests, smote he with the edge of the sword both men and women, children and sucklings and oxen and asses and sheep with the edge of the sword. Oh, my. What a terrible story. We, we don't often like to read of the Old Testament because it was very violent. A lot of people that, that want to criticize the Bible or criticize the things of Christ often refer back to passages like this. Wow, what kind of God allows people to do this? Much of that in the Old Testament is done by the way of sin. <laughs> Not necessarily by the direction of God. Now God did direct sometimes Israel to slay their enemies. For various reasons, because they'd been disobedient, because they carried disease, because God was afraid they would take them away from him. And so the creator God has that privilege, the supremacy of God to be able to do that. But we hear this and this is not condoned of God. This isn't God's doing. This is a man who is hateful, a man who's bitter, a man who feels sorry for himself, who destroys an entire village of people, high priests, priests that worshiped on God. Men that should have been revered, men that should have been uplifted, men that should have been uh, treated with great respect. And here he, he, they are wiped out. Men, women, children, and nursing babies. Who kills a nursing baby? We just had our second grandchild. How many of you are grandparents tonight? Raise your hand. Isn't being a grandparent the greatest thing in the world? I want to tell you, God gifted us for not killing our children by giving us grandchildren. Think of that. We, we just had a baby girl. We have a baby boy, Harrison. He is, oh, that kid's crazy. He's fun. He's got a great sense of humor. He's going to be a preacher of the word of God. We're praying. And God just gave him a little sister, Isla. Oh, what a sweetie. I held her the other night. Mom and dad went away and, and uh, Nana and I, uh, we, uh, Nana, Ruthie and I, we watched the kids so they could go out. And so uh, while she got Harrison ready for bed and bathed him, I held Isla and gave her a bottle and fed her. She looked up at me and smiled and made those little faces and cooed and fell asleep in my arms. Oh, so precious. What kind of man could take a sword and run that through that tiny little baby? You know what kind of man? An abortionist. We haven't heard that for a while, have we? 
Can I say it again? Abortion is murder. That's a life. That's a baby. That's a child. That fetus is a, is a, a mass of cells that comes together and comes out as a perfect little human being. We still need to respect life. And so this man is really a, 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 a prelude to abortion, as it were. Killing innocent people. Why? Because the king was upset. I want you to look again at verse 8. It says, the king, the king, the anointed of God. God chose, allowed of the people to have Saul as their king. God said, you don't need a king. I'll look after you. I'll take better care of you. You don't need a king. But we want a king like everybody else. We want to be like all the other nations. And we want a man to rule over us. And God said, I'll give it to you, but you're making a huge mistake. And so they chose out one and Saul was taller and Saul was good looking and Saul was charming and Saul was all those things. And they said, that's who we want. And God said, okay, be careful what you pray for. Sometimes you'll get it. So they gave him Saul. He gave him Saul. And Saul becomes the leader and everything's going great. And then a young man comes along by the name of David. Became the apple of God's eye. Great man. Love the Lord. Good young man. This king was followed by, respected, and obeyed by David. When, when confronted with this idea that David was out to get him, Ahimelech says, King, you don't understand. There's, there's not another guy in your kingdom that loves you like David. There's not another guy that serves you like David. He's not against you. He's for you. He's your son-in-law. And this king who had everything. Wealth. The palace. Women, the finest food, the, the finest clothes. Again, doesn't it sound like I'm describing to you Canada? H had a great home to live in. Had, 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 I don't think he ever had to worry about walking anywhere. He was probably carried everywhere he went or sat on the finest steed. And this is the one who cries out and says, There is none of you that is sorry for me. The selfish, sorrowful pity party leads as it often does, to terrible destruction. Those people that have that attitude, those people that have all that you could ever want and are still miserable and self-centered and focused on themselves will often lead in decision to terrible destruction. Beware, beware when those words start coming out of your mouth. Now let's be honest tonight, let's be transparent tonight. We all have pity parties. We all have pity parties. My spouse doesn't treat me as good as I think they should. My boss does not treat me the way that I think he should. My pastor, my church, my neighbors, my children don't treat me the way that I think I should be treated. And I just, I don't feel good about it. And we have a little pity party. I've done it. Sadly, I've done it. Sometimes as a pastor, my church doesn't treat me right. <laughs> we do it. Let's be, I'll be transparent with you. Now that I'm not a pastor, I can tell you all the secrets of pastoring. Your pastor really hates every one of you. No, I'm just kidding. I'm kidding. He loves you. But we get that way. And, and often what we'll do is we'll do something to try and solve that in our lives. 
I often did this. Many, many men do this. When I don't feel good, when I'm feeling kind of pity party, you know what I do? I go to Canadian Tire and I buy a tool. It just makes me feel better. Uh, I saw. I've got money in my pocket. I can spend it. My wife doesn't know she's not here because women aren't allowed in Canadian Tire. It's a man's store. I was sadly disappointed the day they put cleaning supplies in the in the store for women to come in and shop and buy things. It used to be a man's store. So you're a male chauvinist pig. In the Bible, it says <laughs> it was just kind of a cave for guys. And we'll do that. Sometimes people go away and they'll just leave their spouse for a few days and not call them or talk to them, just leave them. Or kids will run away from home or whatever. Because we are having a pity party. Saul was having a pity party, a meltdown. When those words start coming out of your mouth, it may lead to the very same end. When nobody's sorry for you, you will stoop to, number one, a purchased allegiance. A purchased allegiance. Verse 7, Saul cries to the captain of its host, his military leaders, and he says this, What's David done for you? What's David done for you? You, the military leaders, you that are in control, you that have power. What has David done for you? It wasn't David. It was me. I've raised you up. I've given you the authority. I've given you the privilege. He says, has he given you lands? Has he given you your wealth? Has he given you uh, positions of leadership? It's a sad, sad day when you have to buy your friends or relationships. Sad day. Teenagers, raise your hands for me tonight. Where are the teenagers tonight? Let me see you. Teenagers. Back here, back here, back here. Right here. I want to tell you teenagers something. As you grow older, there are going to be people in your life, and young ladies especially. You listen to me now. There are going to be opportunities for you to meet people, and sometimes those people will try to take advantage of you, and they'll say things like this. If you really loved me, you'd do this for me. And a lot of times it's things that we ought not to be doing. Or a girl will say to a young man, if you really love me, you'd buy me. If a girl or guy says those kind of things to you, get rid of them right away. You don't want them. You don't want them. Sometimes people will try to take advantage. Adults will try to take advantage of children. Be careful of those. If they want to buy your affection, if they want to buy your love, if they want to buy your loyalty... This is the old, if you really loved me routine. When your friends and relationships start saying that, you need to say, see you later. Loyalty is a precious commodity, but it is not bought. It is earned. I learned that a long time ago. Earned respect is way better than demanded respect. I wanted, I wanted to earn the respect of our church. I wanted to work hard. I wanted to be there for them. I wanted them to see that there was a man of God that loved them, just like your pastor does you. And so that earned respect. If you want people to follow your leadership, you need to love them. You need to respect them. You need to give yourself to them. Saul's interests were always Saul. Not the kingdom. Not his people. Not the well-being of the saints of God. It was about Saul. What am I going to get? How, how come I don't have? How come people are praising David for his tens of thousands and I'm only getting accolades for my thousands? And so in this pity party, he begins to think these thoughts and becomes more and more bitter. To gain people's respect, you must first and remain respectable as a leader, as a friend, as a spouse or a parent. Say, so my, my parents don't respect me. Let me ask you, are you respectable? 
My church doesn't respect me. Are you respectable? My students don't respect me. Are you respectable? A lot of people aren't respectable and want people to respect them. Saul was not respectable. He was not respectable. Crying, nobody is sorry for me. Won't do that. Won't do that. By crying, I, I don't have anybody that loves me. Saul was not gaining the respect of his people. In fact, his servant said, we're not going to do what you want us to do. We're not going to put to death the, the, the priest. That's God's union between us and him. That's the one who offers our sacrifice. We can't do that. They still realize that there was a higher power than Saul, God. I'll tell you what that will bring. Number two, it'll bring a pointed accusation. Probably fearing for his life or in an obedience to duty, Doeg the Edomite speaks up. He says, well, king, I saw David coming to Nob. I saw him. I saw him coming. I want you to know that. And he went to Elimelech and his son Ahitub. And David asked that priest to inquire of or seek the Lord for him. I want you to know that. I knew of this. And then get ready now, king. He fed him victuals, food. He fed him. And king, sit down for this one. You're not going to believe this. Remember that Goliath guy that David slew? Remember that big guy? He gave him his sword. <laughs> so what did they do wrong? He comes in and says, Wait, High priest, would you seek the Lord for me? David says, would you seek the high Lord? And the high priest says, yes, I'll seek the Lord for you. I'll find out what the Lord wants for you. I'll, I'll find his direction for you. And he said, oh, man, we've been traveling. We've been traveling through the desert. If you've never been to Israel, you need to come with me on one of those trips. I'm telling you. We're hoping to go next year in, in uh, 2021. I don't know if we'll be able to go with the whole COVID thing. But I go every February. I take a group. We're taking 90 people next year. Two different troops, 45 people. You need to come. Brother Paul's been there with me. He had a great time. You can see what I'm talking about. And Getty, you're there. We see the waterfall. Here's the caves. We're right there. He says, man, we've been coming through the desert. We're hot and tired. He goes, hey, let me get you something to eat. Just being, a, just being a countryman, just being a friend, just being courteous. He says, and oh, by the way, we have the sword of Goliath. This is your victory prize. You beat him. This is yours. You earned this. You won this. We're going to give that to you. And Saul gets upset at all that. What do you mean the high priest went to God for him? What do you mean they fed him? What do you mean they gave him a sword? I can't believe that you would be so dis distasteful in that. I, I can't believe that you would be so dishonoring in that. And the high priest says, King, I don't know what you're talking about. This is a man that loves you. This is a man who's, who's trying to find peace between you. I, I don't know that I did anything wrong. At this, Saul says, you and your entire family are going to die. Wow. For giving somebody something to eat. For giving a man what was rightfully his. For seeking the Lord in a direction in his life. You're going to die. People who cry, no one feels sorry for me, are often quick to hate for little or no reason. Despise those who are favored above them. Are willing to put to death good relationships. Leaving in its path... Those who only remain out of fear to their own gain. Doeg. I'll tell you what you want to hear. Don't, don't, don't get mad at me. Don't get upset with me. Listen, I'll tell you whatever you want to hear. I'll, I'll, I'll spill the beans. I'll, I'll let you know everything that's happening. I, this is what's this was out, out there. Just, just don't hurt me. Crying, nobody is sorry for me, will often result finally in a pitiful action. 
A pitiful action. Saul ordered his men to kill the priests and his, his family. Wisely, they defy the king's order and refuse to take the life of the innocent man and his family. Saul then there should have stopped and shook his head and walked away, but no, no, he didn't. When those men said, King, listen, you don't understand what you're saying here. Kill a priest, the servant of God, the one who goes before him. King, you're you're, you're too upset here. We need to take a step back. Saul should have stopped, but he didn't. Those who cry, nobody is sorry for me, don't think with reason, only reaction. Let me say that again. It's a good statement. Those who cry, nobody is sorry for me, do not think with reason, only reaction. We get mad and we react. A lot of men do that in, in relationship with their wives. Comes home, he's had a bad day, wife says something, man, he just snaps at her and is reactionary. Gets mad and throws something across the room or punches the wall or kicks the cat or whatever. Reactionary. Sometimes moms get that way. The kids, especially now, kids are home, moms are home. <laughs> it used to be that way all the time. We're not so used to that anymore. And the kids are home and they're driving mom crazy. Everybody now is saying, oh, homeschooling, homeschooling. I, I can't believe how hard it is to homeschool. For years, people criticized homeschoolers because they were wackos for homeschooling their kids. Now they have to do it and they realize those people were brilliant. Those people were uh, great champions. How do, how do we do this? You get reactionary moms sometimes. You kids are driving me crazy. I can't believe I had you kids. I got to get out of here. I need some me time. And we get reactionary because we feel sorry for ourselves. Saul says, Doeg, you fall upon the priests. And Doeg does. Killing Elimelech, killing 84 other priests, wiping out the city of Nob, men, women, children, nursing babies and animals. And why? Because nobody felt sorry for Saul. What a waste. What a tragedy. What a crime. Saul didn't need people to feel sorry for him. And we don't need people to feel sorry for us either. I want to say tonight that there may be some in this auditorium that feel just like Saul. Betrayed. There might be some here tonight that say, you know what? My life's terrible right now. This COVID thing has ruined me. My my job, my business has had to close. I'm not able to fellowship with my friends and I'm not able to do the things I want to do. And it's relaxed some now. It was harder before. But maybe you're in that spot where you just you feel sorry for yourself tonight. And, and, and I'll tell you this, that as a pastor, in counseling over 30 years, a lot of times when people come to the pastor for counseling, it's not to find a, an answer. It's not to find a resolve. It's to find somebody that will side with them and pity with them in that party. If you go to your pastor and say, Pastor, we need help. Would you do me a favor? Would you go to hear what he has to say and accept his answer as a man of God who loves you and want what's best for you? Don't go and say, we're having marital problems. Pastor, what can we do? Here's what I really want to tell you. I want you to side with me and not her. Or I want you to side with me and not him. Tell him he's wrong or tell her she's wrong. No, 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 no. You're both wrong. You're both not doing right. And you both need to change some things. Here's what I learned in counseling. There are three sides to every story. His side, her side, and the truth somewhere in the middle. Saul needed the truth. Maybe tonight you're that one that feels sorry for yourself. Or maybe tonight you know someone who feels sorry for themselves. 
Could I tell you what Saul needed? He needed someone to be a real friend to him. A real friend to him. Somebody that would go and say, listen, I'm going to tell you what you need to hear, not what you want to hear. Maybe at the risk of even losing their life. Doeg should have said, King, listen, you've given me this order, but King, I can't do that. King, I love you. I want to serve you. I want to be obedient to you. But King, you're not thinking straight. You're taking the lives of innocent people. You want to wipe out an entire village of people because you'd feel sorry for yourself. He needed a friend. He needed someone to give him a reality check. And sometimes we need that. Hey, listen, you're having problems here, pal, because you're not working hard. You're not going to work. You're not treating your wife right. You're not treating your parents right. You're not treating your spouse right. You're, You're not true to your friends. You're spending money like crazy. That's why you're broke, not because somebody's mistreated you. We need that reality check sometimes. You're not going to church. You're not reading your Bible. You're not praying. You haven't told anybody about Christ in so long, you can't remember the last person. And you want to know why God's not blessing in your life? Reality check. Reality check. When's the last time you communed with the Holy Spirit of God? When's the last time you had that relationship with him where you could go to him and say, listen, Holy Spirit, look at my life. Purge me. Make me white as snow. And we wonder why we're miserable and we wonder why we can't make it. And we're miserable all the time because we haven't had a relationship with God in so long we can't remember when. Saul didn't need people to feel sorry for him. He needed someone to tell him in love that he was wrong. You ever had to do that? My wife's done that for me. It's hard. As a man, I don't want my wife telling me I'm wrong. I don't want anyone to tell me I'm wrong. I'm a man. I'm always right. (laughs) My wife came to me one time. She said, honey... I want to tell you something. You did, you did something wrong here. You did something wrong. It's not right. And here's my response. I got mad. And I left for a little bit the room. And I sulked about it. And I thought, well, who is she to say that about me? I'm, I'm a preacher. I'm a man. I'm her husband. How dare she? And then I communed with the Lord. And he broke me down again, as he often does. And he said, you dumb, dumb goofball. Your wife's right. And I had to go back and I said, honey, you're right. I'm sorry. I messed up. And I'll make it right. Man, I'm so glad I got a wife like that. She didn't say, well, you know, it's just a little thing. And we'll just kind of let that go. No. Let's deal with it. He needs someone to point out all the good in his life. Sometimes we need to do that. What's the good in your life? I know all my troubles. I need to see the good. I used to tell our church all the time, you know what? You need to get around and laugh with somebody sometimes. Sometimes it's good to have some laughter. Have a good time. That's why I like going to church. I can see people and kid around with them and laugh with them and carry on, reminisce. Sometimes you just need some good times. Talking about some good things. Hey, remember when you were a little kid? Man, I'd come over to your house and we'd have popcorn. And your brother set the popcorn on fire. And there was smoke everywhere. (laughs) Went out to Robert's house one time. That happened out at Robert's house. Jeff and I were out there, and his parents were away, and we were cooking something, and it caught fire, and, man, there was smoke everywhere. And who walks in just as the fire is billowing? His mom and dad. And I did what any good teenager would do. I said, Jeff, what are you doing? (laughs) I've never been back to the house for some reason. I'm not sure why, but... (laughs) You know what he needed? He needed someone to go with him to the Lord. He needs someone to say, come on, let's go. We're going to the altar. 
You've been having a pity party too long. Let's pray about this. Let's get this taken care of. Come on, let's pray together. As a friend, I want to tell you, Lord, help this guy. He's having a tough time. Lord, he needs to know that you love him and he needs to know it's right. And God, I'm going to help him with that. We need that. Don't go and make a big scene. You go sometime, maybe not even to the altar. Go to their house. Listen, I want to come over and talk to you. You've been having a tough time. I, I know it. I can see it on your face. Let's go have a cup of coffee together. I got a couple guys in my church. I can just see on their face they're having a tough time. Say, hey, let's go have a coffee. And we sit at coffee and say, what's wrong? And they'll say, oh, this, this, and this. And I say, let me tell you, this is what the Lord says. This is what the Bible says. Let, let's answer it with that. You know what he needed? He needed someone to help him turn from self-pity to spiritual purification. Because that self-pity helps no one. We need to turn from woe is me to wow, I know the Savior. We need to turn from weeping to soul winning. We need to quit saying nobody's sorry for me and start feeling sorry for those who really need some love, peace, and hope. We're saved. We have Christ. We have an eternal life. We have a home that's preparing for us and it's taken over 2,000 years. He created this world and all of its beauty and all of its wonder in six days. And for 2,000 years, he's been preparing a place for me and for you. How wonderful is that going to be? No sickness, no sorrow, no pain. Just a great reunion day and sitting together at the banqueting table. His banner over me is love. Oh, so hard. As a Christian, you just don't understand how tough it is to have to know that you're going to heaven when you die. And to have a Holy Spirit that lives within you and... Oh, you just don't know how hard it is when God hears your prayers and wants his very best for you. Oh, you, you just can't imagine what it's like to know that Jesus died on the cross for your sins. Are you kidding me? Why would we ever feel sorry for ourselves knowing those things? I'll tell you why, because we get in the flesh. I'll tell you why, because there's a devil that loves to kick us when we're down. I'll tell you why, because we get our eyes off the Lord and we put it on ourselves. It's very easy to do. I'll tell you why, because we go on Facebook and we see everybody's fantasy life and we think, why don't I have that fantasy life? That's why. Tonight, maybe it's you that says, nobody feels sorry for me. Maybe it's you. Maybe the reality check has kicked in. Maybe tonight it's time for you to come and say, Lord, before I do some terrible damage... And hurt some innocent people. I want to come tonight and I want to lay that on this altar. And I want to be done with that. Or maybe tonight you know somebody that's going through that. And you need to be that friend. You need to be that help meet. And you need to come tonight and say, Lord, I want to help so-and-so. Here's their name. I want to be a friend to them. Give me the words to say to encourage them into the right path. And help me not to give up on them. Tonight you know somebody like that. Or that is you tonight. Let's deal with that tonight. Because we can't live with nobody feel sorry for me. Father, thank you for this night and thank you for these dear folks who've come to hear the preaching of the word of God. And Father, I pray that in this time of invitation that we would be very real and very transparent with ourselves. It doesn't matter what I know or what I think. It's what happens in their heart tonight. Holy Spirit of God, move amongst us. Move in the hearts of every single person that's here. And I pray that you begin to convict people right now that maybe have been feeling sorry for themselves and that in this invitation time, they would rise and they would come to this altar and say, God, I'm going to lay it out here. I'm done with it. I'm sick of it. No more. Or maybe some would come and say, listen, I want to pray with you tonight. I want to encourage you tonight. Would you come and pray with me? Would you help me tonight? Whatever it is. And God, I pray that in this hour, you would do some incredibly great things. We pray it in Jesus' name. Our heads are bowed and our eyes are closed tonight. As we did this morning, I'm going to do again tonight. 
But before I do that, would you help me tonight so that I can pray effectively for you? How many tonight say, preacher, you touched on something tonight that is going on in my life or the life of someone I know. Would you slip your hand up and hold it for just a moment tonight? I know somebody like that. I know somebody. Lift it up. Lift it up. Let me see. Many hands tonight. Many hands. Many hands. God bless you. Thank you for being honest. Tonight, what are you going to do about that? Once we hear the preaching, then we have to make a decision. What are we going to do with that? And I'm going to give you that opportunity. As we did this morning, in a moment, I'm going to have you stand. And when we stand, I'm going to give you an opportunity to come forward to this altar and pray at this altar night if you wish to do that. If you don't want to do that, if you're uh, conscious of the COVID distancing and all those things, here's what you can do. You can remain standing in the pew where you're at, and you can pray to the Lord. I'd ask that every one of us search our lives tonight. As you pray to the Lord, when you're done praying to the Lord, I'm going to have you go ahead and be seated right where you're standing. I'll remind you of that, but... You just go ahead and be seated. Some of you will stand for just a few moments and be seated. Some of you will pray a little bit longer and then be seated. And once the majority of our crowd is seated, then Brother Paul will come and conclude the service for us tonight. And my wife and I will make our way back to St. Thomas. We'll do that quickly tonight. We'll not be able to stay a great deal. We have some things in St. Thomas we have to tend to. And I'll thank you now for the privilege of preaching here today. Well, stand to our feet if you would, please. The piano begins to play. This is your opportunity right now to step on and come or to bow your head and pray right now. Would you search your life? Would you ask the Holy Spirit to search your life right now? Heads are bowed, eyes are closed. You're praying right now. Holy Spirit, search my life. Holy Spirit, am I, am I in a pity party tonight? Holy Spirit, am I feeling sorry for myself tonight? Do I feel sorry about my finances? Do I feel sorry about my marriage? Do I feel sorry about my situation in life? And ask him to reveal that. And if he does, come tonight. Or spend that time in prayer and I say, Lord, I want to deal with that right now. No more, it's done tonight. I have too much good. I have too many wonderful things. As you pray tonight and you finish your prayer, would you go ahead and be seated? Take your time. We've got time. But let's pray tonight. Maybe tonight you'll come and pray for someone else. Maybe where you're standing tonight, you'll pray for your wife or your husband or your child, a friend or neighbor who's having that tough time. You know they're going through that pity party. No, I, I've got no friends. I've got no help. I got nothing. No, you got Jesus. You got friends. As you pray tonight, ask God to help you to reach that friend. And when you're done your prayer, would you be seated? Don't worry about being first. Don't worry about appearance because nobody's looking. Our heads are bowed. Thank you for taking some time tonight. Thank you for being honest. Thank you for dealing with those things. Brother Paul's going to make his way. God help us. In this nation of Canada, God help us to never feel sorry for ourselves. We have way too much, way too good. God bless you.